For our scripture reading today, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 25, where you can follow along in your bulletin on page 6. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. All right. Shall we pray together and ask for God's help, which we need uh, during this time? Let's pray. God, we're asking for your help as uh, both an act of humility, um, because we can't get ourselves to understand the mind of God. We need you to come and do it for us. Uh, But also as an act of passion and love, because we want to know you more. And we give ourselves to you now, and we really ask, God, that you would remove any barriers, whether intellectual or emotional or whatever, that's keeping us from responding well to you. Uh, We need you to do that for us, to clear the way, unclog the heart, and unclog our ears. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Ariana is seven years old, about the same age as some of the girls in our church and in our neighborhood. About two weeks ago, she, together with her family, went to Chili's for dinner. Ariana plopped herself in her seat, and when the waitress eventually arrived, she knew exactly what she wanted, as a good seven-year-old often would. Chocolate milk, cheeseburger, with pickles, and a side of fries. The food eventually, finally arrived, and arrived just as she had ordered it, in fact. But there was a problem. Dear Ariana refused to eat most of her meal. When asked why, staring at the burger that had been cut in half, as many restaurants do, Ariana complained, I don't want the cheeseburger. It's broke. I need a new one that's fixed. Of course, by now, Ariana was crying And by now, the entire family there at that table was holding their breath, 
just waiting, just waiting for. You see, Ariana is autistic, which means just this sort of situation often results in a total, very public, and very loud and inconsolable meltdown. And when things got really bad, and they often did in places like Chili's, Ariana's family would quietly, or maybe not so quietly, shuffle out the restaurant. But here comes the waitress now, and without missing a beat, she jumped right into the chaos. She jumped right into the chaos and leaned over and bent down to get right at Ariana's eye level. Spoke to her and exclaimed, Oh my gosh, I brought you a broken cheeseburger. That's my fault. I'm so sorry. I'll go get you a new one. Several minutes later, the new unbroken cheeseburger arrived. As the story was told on the internet, as it circulated around two weeks ago, Ariana stared at it for a few moments. I mean, how would she respond? She sweetly exclaimed, oh, I missed you, kissing the top of the cheeseburger bun. (laughs) Crisis averted, child loved, cheeseburger devoured. We're moved by stories like these, little stories, because love is powerful, isn't it? And perhaps all too rare. Love is powerful even when it's expressed through the simplest acts of kindness, patience, gentleness by a waitress, by you, by me. And we could go around this room, actually, and share stories, couldn't we? Times when we've been, Ariana, on the receiving end of powerful moments of care and attentiveness and love. We could also go around, couldn't we, and share stories about how love is hard. Love is hard. Ariana's problem that day was a a broke cheeseburger. Our problem every day is our broke soul. We don't love very well, do we? We're not so good at loving others, let alone loving God. And so it's a good thing that the apostle in this passage continues to persevere in giving us instructions on love. As we saw last week in this section of Paul's letter to the Galatian church, he has launched into an extended discourse explaining to us how the grace of God in the story of Jesus Christ liberates us to love frees us from our guilt, from our pride, from our fear, so that all of our attention and energy and lives no longer have to be devoted just to me, but in knowing that I am loved perfectly, 
that I am glorious now in the sight of God because of Jesus, that I am forgiven and free of guilt and condemnation, that I am adopted into the family of God as a child now loved and cared for with deep might and affection. Now, maybe for the first time, my attention can be turned outward to other people because I'm taken care of deeply and truly we're liberated to love. And we see in the beginning of this passage here, as Paul says, so I say, you can tell that he's still continuing his train of thought from what we looked at last week about how we live a life of love. So today, just a few more pointers and a few more things about the nature of love. First of all, we're taught here that love is supernatural. Love is supernatural. We need power from God, not natural power from ourselves, from deep within, from our will, from our own commitment. We need power from God to grow and change the habits of our naturally self-centered selves. And we don't believe this. We don't believe this. And do you know how I know this? Because when we struggle to love a roommate or a spouse, how often do we think that just going to bed and sleeping it off and getting up in the morning is just simply going to make me a more loving person? I'll just give it another shot tomorrow. Or how much we believe that when we feel a shortage of compassion in our hearts, let's say for our neighbors, how much we turn to just more rules or more commitments. No, from now on, I'm just going to volunteer every Wednesday evening. And I'm not saying commitments aren't important to do. Giving structure to our love, yes. But here's the question. When you lack love... When you are trying to serve or care for or even just talk to a family member that you have a hard history with or a person, maybe even in this church that just flat out irritates you or a coworker that always seems to take credit for your work and you know you can't love, how often do you run to God, run to God for help. Seven times in this passage, the apostle mentions the spirit of God, the spirit of God, the spirit of God. How can we love? Where do we get the power to love? Especially when we're weak at love. God, he must do it. He must change our hearts. He must rewire us, rewire us. From the inside, the spirit of God, who is the spirit of Jesus, who is so intimately connected with the work of Jesus on the cross that in Galatians chapter three that we saw a couple months ago, Paul talks about the work of the spirit as being connecting us to the good news of Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit preaches to our hearts, drills into our hearts the reality of the good news of God's grace, 
telling us again and again, you are free. You are loved. You are righteous in God's sight. Believe the gospel. Be joyful in the good news of Christ. You have the spirit of God if you're in Jesus. You need the spirit of God to love. So real quick, this is a short point. Just want to offer one simple little application, one little homework assignment. This week, in any moment or incident or relationship or time when you are struggling to love another person, will we stop and pray for the Holy Spirit's help? That we would actually believe what this passage says about our need for power. That again, yes, we need to put structure and commitments to our love, but ultimately what we need is a change of heart. And I don't know about you, but I can't change my own heart. Have you tried? Can't do it. You need the power of God. All right, let's just pray. We're done. (laughs) That was all apparently that needed to be said, right? With a big exclamation point. That was odd. Okay. Seriously, the point is dead. Love is supernatural. It was going to be a short point. Will you this week, in those moments when you know your love falls falls short, And when the fountain of compassion or self-sacrifice or other regarding concern runs dry, will you go to the well of Jesus, whose love never runs short for you? Would you pray that the Spirit of God would reconnect you to him in a vital, powerful, heart-changing way? Will you pray? Secondly, love is not only supernatural, love is war. Love is war. Huh. Listen to verse 16 to 18. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, for you, will, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do just whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, in this endeavor to love well, and to walk by faith, and to grow spiritually in the gospel. Paul is telling us that inside those who are in Jesus, there's raging, there is raging within us an intense, and even, you might say, spiritually violent battle of desires. A virtual war between the Spirit, who, like we just said, gives us power to love, as Jesus has loved us. Between the Spirit and what the Apostle calls here, 
the flesh. Now, what's the flesh? Last week in verse 13, we encountered this word, and we said that it refers to our, our self-centered selves, our sinful nature, the part of me that is naturally addicted to me, and we all have it. What the Bible describes as our sinful nature. To get to the heart of what the flesh is all about, I want to share with you a profound spiritual, theological insight that I gained from a most impressive and prestigious theological institution called Sesame Street. Great episode that I saw together with my daughter uh, actually months ago where they were apparently trying to teach their audience a little bit about the challenge of sharing. You see, in Sesame Street this one day, there was a terrible outbreak of a disease called myneitis. Myneitis. The first symptom was itching. The second symptom was bouncing. The third symptom was twirling around. And the fourth and final symptom was a total and complete and aggressive refusal to share anything. And so you have Big Bird running off with his teddy bear saying, mine. And you have Grover with all of his stacks of books saying, mine. And Bert with his bottle cap collection running off saying, mine. And Cookie Monster hoarding all of his cookies, saying mine, and just chaos breaking out into this local community called Sesame Street. Everyone screaming and shouting and running around, fighting and tugging and pulling, saying mine, 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 mine. Not hepatitis, not meningitis, something far more deadly Dear friends, you and I have a terrible spiritual disease. It's called mine-itis. It's the deep self-centeredness of our hearts. We see it in the way that we relate to God, the way we relate to other people, even the way we relate to ourselves. And it shows up in just about every possible way in a variety of places in life and in our relationships, here Paul actually gives us a little sample list of what he calls acts of the flesh, manifestations of mind-itis, if you will. He says in verse 19 through 21. See, he gives us two words to describe religious mind-itis. Idolatry, the worship of false gods, witchcraft, messing with false spiritual powers. In other words, me claiming to myself the right to make up my own ideas of who God is and how I relate to him, which is however I want, it's mine. Three words he gives us to describe sexual mind-itis. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Words that describe sexual intimacy between unmarried people. It's that heart that says your body is mine. But the power to bail out on this relationship when it's not working for me is also mine. Your sexual pleasure is mine, but 
not my heart, not my bank account, not my life's biggest choices, all of that is still mine. Two words that describe eating and drinking mine-itis, also known as substance abuse, talks about drunkenness and orgies, taking the good things of food and drink, which are really wonderful gifts from God, but consuming them in excess in order to create a new me, a happier me, a freer me, a less fearful me, a less lonely me, a more secure me. Eight words to describe a relational mind-itis, both in our attitudes and our behavior. The habit of hatred, which is, you know, killing people that we just don't like, killing them in our hearts. I decide whether you're important, whether you're beautiful, whether you're significant or valuable, worthy of respect, worthy of life, the power to decide that is mine. And when I'm really full of myself, then there are temper tantrums and fits of rage, Paul says, road rage, co-worker rage, why won't my child listen to me rage, different outbursts of anger, or pay attention, inbursts of anger, explosions maybe that you never let out, but that are going off in the heart. The habits of selfish ambition, where we're committed to this idea that all glory, all attention, all priority of whose needs get met in all my relationship, it's all mine. The habit of jealousy and envy. You know, that sense of humor that I always wanted. Uh, that body type that I always wish I had, that easy life that I always felt I deserved, you know, what you are and what you have ought to be mine. The habit of dissension and factions and discord, you know, where I'm always disagreeing all the time with people. It just sort of makes sport of it, always debating people on Facebook always walking around, picking fights, you see, because I'm so sure I am right all the time. Truth and justice in conversation is mine. Mine, mine, stinking mine. Do you see it in your heart? Do you see it in your thoughts, in your behavior? Do you see a bad case of mine-itis In you, I do. I do. But don't forget Paul's point in this passage, of course, is that that's not the only reality within you if you have Jesus, if you have the Spirit of God. Because if that's the case, you also, at the same time, have the Spirit of the one person who did not live to a chorus of mine, but who humbled himself out of love, who though he was equal with God, God himself, eternal and infinite and full of glory, gave his life, died on a cross, looked at you and said, everything that's mine is yours. Oh, the love of Jesus, who lived and died 
to give you what is yours. Where he says, my pain, the penalty of sin is yours. You're forgiven. My every deed of love and righteousness now counts as yours. You're righteous in the sight of God. My joy is yours. My eternal life is yours. My father is yours. My spirit now is yours. The same spirit that is making you and me more and more like Jesus. Loving like him more and more. And here's the point. Inside of us, therefore, is a constant ongoing argument between the spirit and flesh. It's desires. Mine. Yours. Mine. Yours. Mine. It's a war. It's a battle. It's what some theologians have called an irreconcilable antagonism between the spirit on the one hand and the flesh on the other hand. Love, friends, is a battle. Love is a battle. And it's like two giant sumo wrestlers. Pick your image. Maybe not the one that came to your mind. (laughs) Battling each other in the ring. Trying to push each other out. And listen, and this is important. Two quick points of application. It is a battle... But don't be defeated. The spirit wins. Two heavyweight sumo wrestlers in the ring battling it out. It's a war. It's a fight. But it's not an equal fight. The spirit of God will win. Not in every case because we still do sin and we give in to our mind-itis, the selfishness of our hearts. But the Apostle Paul talks about walking by the Spirit. And then what? Verse 16. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Not give it a shot and we'll see. You'll grow in love. You won't always succumb to mind-itis. You will live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, and one day the work will be complete and you will love perfectly by instinct. No more myonitis to be found, cured indeed, when Jesus returns and makes all things right, including your broken, broked heart. But you still do have to fight in the meanwhile. The apostle uses the language of killing, putting to death. He says, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, which means more than simply saying no to the selfishness, the mind-itisness of our hearts. It means genuine repentance. It means beginning to see those things as genuinely, deeply ugly, even in your own estimation. To start to agree with God that selfishness is hideous. That mind-itis, as it works itself into life, although temporarily attractive, because I want glory, I want attention, I want fame, I want my needs to be met, 
temporarily attractive ultimately is ugly. To be a black hole. No one wants to play with one on a team. Why would anyone want to live with one in life? Repentance. Hating the desires of the flesh with a ruthless and even merciless resolve to nail to the cross again and again and again and again with fresh vigor the desires, the mind-itis of the flesh. It is often painful, but it bears fruit. Keeping in step with the Spirit as the Spirit applies the gospel to the li- our lives, it is painful at times, but it does bear fruit, which brings us to the last point. That love is not just supernatural, and love is not just war, but love is character. Love is character. In verse 22 and 23, we're given a list of what Paul famously calls the fruit of the Spirit. If life were a tree and if the human soul and life and heart and behavior were like a tree, if your heart actually plants its roots into the grace of God and the love of Jesus... And the Spirit then takes up that in power and changes your life. What kind of fruit should be born in the life that is your tree? This is what the Apostle says. Love. Thinking of others before you think of yourself. Their needs. Their joy. Their sorrows. Joy. Taking delight in God and in other people. Do you ever gaze at another person, maybe a friend or a family member, or maybe even a stranger on the metro, and just let your heart get filled with joy because of what you see in them? Peace. Finding contentment, deep contentment that I actually have what I need. Confident that God has been good to me. Forbearance, also known as patience, or in the old English, long-suffering, which is the ability to take hits from people or to take hits from the brokenness of life without withering and without blowing up. You know, patience isn't just biting the bullet. Patience is Suffering with joy for the sake of others. Kindness. A a basic and deep longing for things to go well for other people. Goodness. Having a, a purity of heart towards others. Not being fake or hypocritical. Faithfulness. Loyalty in relationships. Sticking with people. Being reliable and dependable. Not flaky and choosy. Gentleness, humbly taking careful consideration of the needs and wants of a person according to their circumstances. Self-control, not just acting on impulses, but taking the time to restrain yourself for the good of another person. We talked about that a little bit last week. The fruit of the Spirit, dear friends. In which of these areas have you actually seen progress in your life? Make sure you take a second to thank God for that. We don't do this enough. 
I'm almost sure that most of you, as I went down that list, were saying to yourselves, I stink at that. I stink at that. Not good at that one either. Which one to the praise of the glory of Jesus can you say, man, it's getting better. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I used to be. But then also, in what ways do you actually have need to continue to grow? Will you notice in closing that these are attributes of character mostly? Character. You know, sort of not not just love in terms of action and duty and sacrifice, but it's more like sort of the the aroma of how you love. It's it's sort of the the ethos, the, the feel, the vibe of the person as they are relating to you. Character. I mean, think about this. One of the biggest pieces of evidence that you are growing in gospel faith is not your knowledge base. It's not how much activity you're doing for God. Paul could have said those things. The fruit of the Spirit is your latest test score on a theological exam. He could have said that. He does not. It's the renewal of your character. One of the greatest proofs that the spirit of the God of the universe actually is living and moving in your life isn't your experience with so-called power encounters of the spirit. It's the transformation of your character that shows up in your daily interactions with other people and with God. Love isn't just what you do. Love is how you do it. Love isn't just simply calling the person that's in need. It's also found in the tone of your voice or in the tapping of your foot because the person isn't responding quickly enough. Love is found not just in the way that you reach out to a neighbor to walk alongside them. Maybe they're in a broken state, have a serious financial need. Love is also found in the gentleness And the goodness of heart with which you are walking with them. Love is found not just in the big, radical, visible, heroic sacrifices that we make, which are important. Let God call you to that. It's also found in the little things that sometimes can't even really be nailed down or described. But it's called character. More important than our competence, our spiritual gifts, sometimes even the deeds of sacrifice that we make. The preeminent fruit of the Spirit of God drilling the gospel of grace into your heart is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. What did I miss? You look it up. Love. Dear friends, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge because we're weak at it. We don't do it well. We need supernatural help. Good news, we have supernatural help. The Spirit of God bearing fruit in our lives. Let it convict you. Let it humble you. But let it also encourage you. God at work in you making you lovers of one another as Jesus has loved you.
Let's pray. God, we want to learn to love better. Thank you for giving us this instruction. Most of all, for giving us your spirit to proclaim to our hearts the good news of grace. Transform us, change us, teach us to love. Holy Spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song. Sing it into our hearts. Let's praise God.